Hello everyone, welcome back. I hope where I'm at uh, I won't get any type of issues with my cell signal. I've had that happen whenever I try to do a live stream from some other location than what I'm used to, but I was losing daylight. I'm probably still going to lose daylight and end up speaking into the dark here, but that's okay. I have an, a, just an amazing view of the mountains where I'm at. Um, so, you know, I think I can, I think I can handle that watching the sunset over the mountains. So anyway, so there's a couple things we're going to talk about. Um, first I'll say we're not going to talk about the primaries, uh, today because the, the next debate in the primaries is Wednesday. And so on Wednesday, I'll do a, a stream either in the morning or in the afternoon, just kind of talking about what to expect, like what I've done with other ones. What are we looking for? What to expect? Um, and that type of stuff. So not going to talk about the primaries today, but just know that the debates are coming up on Wednesday. Get excited. Uh, we, we, will, we will not be discussing Beto O'Rourke, unfortunately, as he is no longer in the race. Um, that's okay, though. I think that uh, his boss at Home Depot is getting kind of frustrated with him taking all that time off to pursue his political hobby. So it's cool that he can get back to work there. Um, anyway, so we'll address all the primary stuff on Wednesday. Uh, today... I'll briefly touch on impeachment stuff, and then I want to talk about some really fascinating and, and I think good comments that Obama's been making over the past couple of weeks, um, and the re and the reaction to them is pretty telling, I think, to where we're at culturally and with our discourse and stuff. But in terms of impeachment, so I've been following it. I've been following the the hearings and the testimonies, and then the subsequent reaction in the news. And you know, I I don't you know I don't really talk about the, this that much. I don't dwell on the impeachment stuff that much and if you want to know why that that's kind of how I handle those things you can watch the last video I made and but I guess to put a fine point on it for those of you that haven't you know I think that all of the political stuff the political turmoil we're experiencing and you know this really ravenously partisan politics is all just a manifestation of deeper cultural issues and cultural divides and so I try to focus on where we're at culturally and you know, you can learn some things in seeing how those divides manifest in politics, and I think this impeachment is a good example. The stuff with Obama we're going to talk about is a good example, but, you know, I'm just not as interested in addressing the impeachment stuff because those divides are still going to exist even if Donald Trump is or isn't impeached, and so I think we have to to look at what's causing those divisions and what's causing people to feel motivated to pursue this thing or this other thing. Um so anyway, but what I will say is that, you know, in terms of the process, so I only am talking about the process here. You know, it's called an impeachment inquiry is the way it's being covered. That's the way it's, that's what Nancy Pelosi has called it. And I really don't feel like it, that that is a fair or accurate assessment to what it is. And so I want to make sure to, to separate two things. So one is the idea of, could Donald Trump have done something impeachable? Could he have done something corrupt? Yeah, totally. Of course he could. Duh. Like, you'd have to be crazy to think that he couldn't. But I just want to talk about this process of this impeachment inquiry. So, and why I don't think it is that, and why I think it's all just political theater, at least right now. Um, you know, so inquiry, the, the root word there is inquire, which means to look for an answer, to seek truth, to seek knowledge, to seek understanding. And I just don't get the sense from this process, from these hearings, um, from these testimonies, that this is a legitimate truth-seeking exercise. 
I just don't get that sense. Um, there, there certainly could be people that could give testimonies that would change my mind on this. Absolutely. But right now, just in the way that it's being handled, you know, with the Republicans aren't able to call witnesses that they want to call, the way that the question asking is being um, kind of dictated by Adam Schiff and some of these others, it doesn't appear to me to be a legitimate, uh, we have a question, we're looking for an answer type thing. Um, it, it appears to be political theater to try and persuade public opinion. And, and I'm okay with that, I guess, to a degree. And, you know, I guess maybe okay isn't the right term. It's more of a, I understand it. You know, the right has engaged in obstructionist political theater in the past, and I think the left is just doing it right now. Um, but it doesn't seem to be something that is fundamentally truth-seeking. And here's the metaphor I give for this and why I... I don't think that this whole thing, unless we get some crazy new revelations, unless we hear some really compelling testimony, um, why I don't think this is going to go anywhere. So two things. One is, you know, whenever they first started this, they were confident that they, they wanted to have impeachment stuff drawn up by Halloween. We're now pretty close to Thanksgiving. And so they had a confidence initially that they no longer have in the ability to impeach Donald Trump. Now, I think they're going to have to in the in the House of Representatives. I think they've painted themselves into that corner, and so they're going to do that no matter what. But the fact that this is now going on longer than what they had originally stated they wanted it to, to be tells me that they just don't have the goods that they thought they originally had. Um, and, he, and here's this the second thing, you know, kind of the metaphor that I give and the way that this is being covered, I think, underscores this is, you know, I think we've all experienced whenever you're, let's say you're at an intersection, you want to make a left-hand turn, and the all the traffic that you have to cross, they all have the right-of-way, so you're just trying to find your opportunity to turn. And there are several times where maybe there's a car coming from either direction that's going slower than you thought, and you keep missing opportunities to turn, and you start getting frustrated, and finally you're like, screw it, and you just make the turn, and it's probably in a situation that was the least safe of all your opportunities to make the turn. But you're so frustrated, you're like, I just want to go this way. I'm sick of I'm sick of waiting. I just want to go this way. I've missed these opportunities, and that frustration like kind of bubbles up, and you just go for it. And you know, it, it could be a rash decision, but you're just tired of not going the direction you want to go. So I feel like there's a sense among certain Democrats that you know it it is objectively true you can see this in their pieces published on the inauguration day of donald trump the case for impeachment tom steyer who's a democratic primary candidate um he's been trying to get a petition to impeach impeach donald trump for the past several years and so there's been a, a coalition of people i don't think this is the entire left by any stretch of the imagination but a coalition on the left that i think has been at that intersection waiting to make their turn. They've been, and they feel like they've missed opportunities to impeach Donald Trump. And so they just took this opportunity, like, all right, this is, we're going to go for it. We're going to go with this one. And I think they maybe thought they had the goods and they thought it was a safe bet to just go to, uh, we're just sick of waiting. We're going to do it. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that it, it is what they wanted it to be. I think that it is that there's not a lot there that's not to say there couldn't be stuff that was revealed. I'm, I mean, I'm totally open to that. You know, I think that there's probably every president, including this one, definitely, 
that's done things that if we if we found out about it, we would say, get them out of here. That's crazy. Um, but I, I don't see that in this as of right now. I think they just got frustrated and just took their shot. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what could happen. You know, I certainly there are things that could come out. But, you know, I think one of the ways that you can see that this isn't what they want it to be is look at the way it's being covered, especially this past week of testimonies. You know, the headlines have been, this devastating day of testimony. Um, this, this absolutely, this was a, this was very telling. This was devastating. This was brutal for Donald Trump um, and his administration. Well, if there was something that was said that was devastating, usually evidence or, or allegations or something that supports an allegation is pretty straightforward, and that's the headline. The headline is the devastating thing that was said. So if there was some absolute bombshell in these testimonies, the bombshell would have been the headline. It would have been Trump demanded quid pro quo and secret conversation, Yovanovitch says. Like the the punchline, they would lead with the punchline. But that's not what's happening. It's just like, this is how devastating it is. And you open it up, it's like, well, what was devastating? Or how, oh, evidently now Trump is engaged in witness intimidation because he's tweeting like Trump does during her testimony. Well, witness intimidation, my understanding, is that it's attempting to intimidate a witness so they don't testify or they alter their testimony against you. And so I just don't see how that that could be witness intimidation, Trump fulminating on Twitter while she's giving her testimony, unless, you know, the thought is that he was maybe secretly trying to text her and he accidentally tweeted or that she's sitting there you know, checking her phone during the testimony and then all of a sudden she's going to change stuff. So, you know, it, it, there seems to be a lot of smoke. Oh, this is devastating or this witness intimidation. And there's not a lot of there there. There's not a lot of fire so far of Trump did X, witness says, you know, whenever that or when or if that were to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. But we're not seeing that yet. And there's still, like I said, people that could be called to testify that, absolutely could convince me of that. But right now it seems to be political theater theater to try and persuade the public opinion. Um, evidently the Democrats were polling what vernacular to use for Donald Trump to see what polled better in battleground states. And that's how they've landed on bribery over quid pro quo. So I think that the political nature of this is becoming increasingly evident to a lot of people. Um, but we'll see what happens. Again, there's testimony could come out, but that's what it seems like to me. If you disagree, I'd love to, to hear why. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of there there right now. And I feel like for a lot of people, it feels like Mueller part two. Um, it feels petty or desperate even in a lot of ways. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. So that's the impeachment stuff. But the main thing I wanted to talk about today is these comments by Barack Obama about cancel culture and then the the subsequent backlash to them. And, it, and it's very telling to me. It kind of reminds me of, I did a stream uh, maybe a month or so ago about Ellen DeGeneres getting shellacked on Twitter for saying that we should be kind to each other. And I'm like, you know, it should raise red flags in your mind if something as obviously true and benign as be kind to people, even if they disagree with you. If you see a big backlash to something like that, that should raise red flags about uh, discourse and the nature of where we're at right now. And I feel like the backlash to these comments by Obama um, on two separate occasions, 
I think the backlash is also telling in it for a different kind of reason. So first I'll, I'll tell you what he said. Um, he was at this event with his daughter Malia and he was talking about cancel culture. And he said, this idea of purity and you're never politically compromised and always politically woke and all that stuff, you should get over that quickly. The world is messy and there are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. People you are fighting may love their kids and, you know, share certain things with you. And I think one danger I see among young people, particularly on college campuses, I get a sense that among certain young people, there is this, or and this is accelerated by social media, there is this sense that the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people and that that's enough. If I tweet or hashtag about you uh, didn't do something right or use the wrong verb, then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself like, man, did you see how woke I was? I called you out and then flip on the TV and watch my show. That's not activism. That's not bringing about change. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. And so Obama's, he's calling out a few things. First of all is this uh, kind of this dichotomy. Um, the coddling of the American mind, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff write about this is one of the three great untruths on college campuses is the world uh, is a battle between evil people and good people. Or life is a battle between good people and evil people. And Obama's saying, look, that's a really bad dichotomy to use. People you disagree with, you know, that's not the only thing about them. You probably have other things in common. And the people that you do agree with aren't like these morally perfect and virtuous people necessarily. You know, people are nuanced. You need to allow for people you disagree with to not be the devil, basically. Um, and the other issue, he says, is that it's not activism to just engage in these Twitter mobs, you know. Whenever I was in college and used to, people would change their Facebook profile pictures to whatever the latest cause was, you know, maybe like Coney 2012 or whatever. Um, a friend of mine told me that he had heard that referred to as slacktivism. And I thought that was a really good term. You know, it's kind of like a slacker's way of showing how good they are. You know, it's this slacker activism. And Obama is saying, you know, there's kind of a more insidious version of that. It's not just changing a profile picture, but it's engaging in these online mobs Um to just pile on people to show how woke you are, how good you are, and then just going about your day. And, and it doesn't create positive change. In fact, it's just throwing stones. Um, it's not a good thing. And, but he does say, you know, it's, an, it's easy to do that. Um, but that's not the same as affecting change. And so after that came out, after he made those comments, I was like, okay, so he's going to get destroyed for making these these comments eventually. And I was waiting for it. There's a scene in Iron Man 2 when uh, Whiplash, played by Mickey Rourke, after his first encounter with Tony Stark, and he gets arrested and Stark barely beats him with the help of his friends. And later, Tony's talking to him and Whiplash says, you lose, you lose. And Tony's like, well, how do I lose? You're the one in jail. And uh, Rourke's character is like, there's blood in the water and the sharks will come. And so I was just waiting for that with this this kind of indictment of some of the, the far left Twitter mob policies. I was wait, I'm waiting for someone to draw first blood. And it was the New York Times. Uh, they wrote an article. There's an op-ed about a week and a half later that said it was called Obama's very boomer view of cancel culture. And which kind of goes into this okay boomer, you know, also cancel culture, okay boomer rising in our current vernacular uh, culturally. And 
that that New York Times article basically says, you know, he's just out of touch. He has a wrong understanding of this. This is basically just activism. It's the same activism that he engaged in. And they give a, a definition of cancel culture um, that I think is commonly used as a bait and switch or dismissive type thing. Um, but it's not what it is in practice. But here's what they say. Uh, they say, cancel culture seems to describe the phenomenon of being criticized by multiple people, often but not exclusively on the internet. Neither the number of critics, the severity of the criticism, nor the extent of the actual fallout seems particularly important. And so they're saying, you know, all he's saying is, what's, what's wrong with us criticizing people? What they go on to say is that uh, what members of older generations now dismiss as cancel culture, or as Mr. Obama put it, being judgmental, is actually one of many modern-day iterations of protests they took part in when they were younger. Students at the University of Pennsylvania using social media to push for cancellation of a campus event, including a former Trump administration immigration and customs enforcement director, is not totally unlike college students using bullhorns to criticize apartheid in South Africa in the 1980s. Now, we're just going to skip over the fact that they're drawing a comparison between a border, a border agent or the guy in charge of the U.S. border and apartheid in South, in South Africa, but whatever. Um... I say hashtags such as Black Lives Matter or Mute R. Kelly or Me Too and what others uh, and others that were created by black women online aren't all that different from the picket signs and petitions our parents used to demand racial and gender justice. Of course, we take part in more traditional activism, but today we have additional tools. Why wouldn't we use them? And so the person who's criticizing Obama here in the New York Times is saying this is just activism like what we saw in the past of uh Activism for causes that were good causes, like um, apartheid in South Africa. So why wouldn't we use social media to try and engage in a similar kind of activism? And I think that there is a sense for a lot of people who hear that, who hear cancel culture, and what they're thinking is they just hear PC culture. It's like, no, you're just trying to get away with saying things I don't like. Like, no, what's the big deal? We, we should be able to criticize things we don't like and don't agree with. And I totally agree with that. If that's what it was, then I'd say absolutely, yes. That's embedded in our democracy. That's the First Amendment. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of association, freedom of press. And so, yeah, if that's all it was, was just criticizing things you don't like, then of course that's a good thing. And I think Obama would be wrong to criticize against it, or to criticize it. But that's not what it is. And they even say it right here. They say advocating, so the students at University of Pennsylvania trying to get this event canceled is not unlike speaking out against apartheid. So that's a different thing. That's, that's a difference between protest and canceling. And this other article that the Washington Post did um, at the end of October, I think puts a, a fine point on it even better. And so this, this article was titled, um, Those Critics of Cancel Culture Just Hate Democracy. And the definition that they give, and I think that this is maybe even just them accidentally being honest, I don't know, but they say canceling, oh, and, and by the way, pay attention to how this differs from the New York Times definition, all right? So New York Times says this is just criticizing, doesn't matter if anything actually happens as a result of it, it's just criticism, what's the big deal? So this is what Washington Post says. 
Canceling involves shaming a public figure for alleged wrongdoing and advocating for them to lose access to their platform. Now, that is incredibly different than what the other person said. Now, functionally, both of these articles and a lot of others who advocate for this stuff treat it like the first definition. They say it's just criticism. It's just protest. What's the big deal? People picketing with anti-war signs or desegregation signs or any of those things, that's all we're doing. What's the big deal? And if that's all it was, then of course that would be a good thing. But that's not what it is. Notice what they say. This is advocating for them to lose access to their platform. So it's not saying you're wrong and here's why. It's saying you're wrong and you don't get to talk. You're not part of the conversation. We're going to shut down your speech, which is not the same. And what Obama was saying there is you can't just do that. You can't just get in these Twitter mobs to shout people down or have them lose their platform. And what's fascinating is in this same Washington Post article where, where they say this is advocating for them to lose their platform, they make the same bait and switch a little later. They say, after all, what is derided as cancel culture is nothing more than a large group of people choosing who and what they want to watch, read, and listen to. Well, no, it's not. It's not choosing who and what and or who and what they want to read, watch, and listen to. They're choosing for everyone what everyone gets to read, watch, and listen to. That's what it actually is. So saying that it's just engaging in criticism. That's one thing. That's a good thing. But trying to shut other people's speech down is absolutely toxic for our discourse. And for Obama to get destroyed by the people who supported him previously for saying something that I think is objectively true is very telling of where we're at culturally. And I think it speaks to a broader issue. Just the other day, he made a, uh, another set of comments. He was speaking to some Democratic donors and he said, you know, we need to be careful about going too far left in our policies and alienating a huge swath of the voters. He said, you know, if we pursue these really radical immigration policies or healthcare policies or whatever, then we're going to alienate people that are moderate Republicans or centrists or moderate Democrats even um, by doing that. And so we need to be careful about, about the types of policies we platform and put forth. And again, he was absolutely lambasted by people who were saying like, no, what do you mean too far left? So he said too far left and hashtag too far left was trending on Twitter for like five seconds. And then immediately there was a backlash of hashtag too far right. And they were saying, okay, Boomer, Obama, you're too far right. Like, oh, too far. I think Ilhan Omar was like too far left means Medicare for all and not putting families in cages and I'm too far left. And it was again, just a dismissal of what he was saying. And what's fascinating to me about that is, so here's a guy who is an objectively good politician. Obama was very articulate. He still is. Good politician. He handily won the presidency both times that he ran, um, created a unique coalition on the left, and was also able to get through some really important legislation for them, like DACA, and the Affordable Care Act. So here's a guy who, if if there's anyone that you would say is trying to help the left, has genuinely good intentions towards trying to help them win elections, it's Barack Obama. Yet, 
look how easy it was for them to dismiss what he was saying. Like, what do you mean too far left? There's no such thing. You're just too far right. Okay, boomer. Um, and I think that that speaks to a broader issue. If someone like Ellen DeGeneres can, can just get shut down by saying, hey, be nice to people, or if someone like Barack Obama can get shut down for saying, you know, we need to be careful about the types of policies we're putting forth, then it, it, or, you know, okay, boomer, Obama has this boomer view of things. I think it speaks to how easy it is for us to dismiss discordant information or ideas we don't like. I can't remember if it's Jerry Seinfeld or Ricky Gervais, but one of them said that a joke is just the shortest distance between your audience and a punchline. Um, and so however long or in-depth the joke is, that's just the shortest distance to get people to laugh. And so I was thinking about just the distance of our neural pathways of, of how we think about things and the distance between hearing a piece of information and deciding whether or not we think it's true or dismissing it. And I think that cancel culture, okay, boomer, you know, that hashtag too far left, no, 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 hashtag too far right represents a problem in our culture more generally of how easy it is for us to dismiss things. That the distance between hearing something that we might not agree with or we might not know what we think about and the ability to dismiss that information, I think that gap is virtually closed. And Obama identifies one of the, the social media as a problem there. And there's lots of people, uh, again, Jonathan Haidt, he did a, a piece uh, last week, I can't remember where, what it was in, I'll put it in the a link to it in the description once I find it, talking about social media. But if you think about, so let's say in the past, if a coworker, a friend, family member, whatever, presented you with an idea or a piece of information or a proposi proposition, notion, whatever, with something that you might not know if you agree with, or it might, or you might even have a gut reaction of, I don't know, no, I don't, I don't like that. Um, you at least had to take a little bit of time to think about it because the person's right there. There's nothing else even just mentally for you. So you have to at least decide. You've got a little bit of time to, to marinate in that. And the longer you spend marinating in it, the more you're going to know if you actually agree or disagree with it. In other words, it was a little bit harder to dismiss new ideas or discordant ideas. But if, if social media and the internet, which is how a lot of people get their information, is how a lot of people are forming their opinions nowadays, it's so, like, think about how easy it is to dismiss things that you might disagree with. So you're scrolling through a feed, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and you see an, a post or you see something, you can very quickly either just scroll past it or you can look in the comments and see, okay, what are the people who pr I probably agree with saying? Oh, they're saying this? Okay, cool, I can like that or retweet it and then just go. I don't have to actually engage with this idea um, to decide if I think it's true because it's just easier to scroll past it. It's easier to dismiss it. And so I think that cancel culture and OK Boomer and whatever really are indicative of this broader problem of there is no distance between idea and my ability to dismiss that idea. There's virtually none. Um, and that's a, that is really, really dangerous for our society because it, it, it makes it easier to be polarized. It makes it easier to be tribal. Um, and that's bad for us. You know, John, John Stuart Mill writes in On Liberty that when in his chapter where he's talking about the necessity of discussion and considering other people's ideas is he says, you know, one of three things is, is true in those conversations, okay? Either the other person is right and 
you now have improved by removing a false notion and replacing it with a true notion, so it's good to listen to other people because they might be right. Um, you might be right, and so they get to engage in that process. Or even if they disagree and they're giving you pushback, you're refining your ability to articulate your idea. Your, your idea is experiencing pushback, and so you have to actually defend it. You have to think about it. And so even if they don't agree you still get to refine it and you get to decide if you still agree with that idea. So that's a good thing. Or what's probably more likely the case is that you're both maybe onto something, but the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And so your ideas can maybe synthesize certain parts of them. And then you can use the best parts of each of them to discover what's true. That's the marketplace of ideas. That's the beauty of the free exchange of ideas and the freedom of speech that's enshrined in our constitution. But None of that works, none of that happens if we have ever more tools at our disposal for dismissing people we disagree with or shutting down people we disagree with. And so I think we have to be careful about dismissing those things and engaging in practices that make it easy for us to just, eh, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to throw a stone, I'm going to send a tweet, and that's it. Um, especially if there are people that you know, I, I what really blows my mind is I have no reason, and I'm not someone who even particularly, even though I voted for Obama both times that he ran, I'm not someone who would probably go back and vote for him now, but I think that he's, even if he's someone I disagree with, I still think that he is a, a good faith actor in, in ways where I want to listen to what he has to say. Same with Ellen DeGeneres. Um, and so the fact that there are people who previously would have loved Ellen DeGeneres or loved Barack Obama and it only takes like them saying one thing for them to go nope nope I'm out is really fascinating to me you know that's one of the things that Obama addresses he says this idea of ideological purity you know we got to get past that um so anyway so I, I don't I guess my takeaway for you guys is just to think about how what is the distance between you receiving an idea and dismissing it you know how easy is it for you to ignore people you think that, that you disagree with who aren't in your camp per se and that's everyone i think left and right you know i think there's a lot of people on the right with this impeachment stuff who are saying there's no chance of anything um there's no chance and just you know dismissing it outright i think that's a mistake um and people on the left who are having these types of reactions to obama and so we need to spend more time marinating in ideas that we might disagree with because even if we don't change our minds, we at the very least refine our ideas and have a better understanding of where those we disagree with might be coming from. Um, and and I also, lastly, I think that a lot of the what Obama was talking about, especially with some of these radical policies um, or the, the Twitter mobs and throwing stones, speaks to the deeper issue of kind of the moralization of our politics. And I have a whole bunch of stuff planned for doing videos on the call-out culture he addresses, which I think is absolutely cancerous, and, you know, kind of replacing truth-seeking and, and, okay, is this idea true? Is this idea false? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? With the moralizing of things. Is this policy moral and just? Is this policy immoral and unjust? Um, and how I think that's also really bad for us. So those are some of the things we're going to be getting into later, and I think... Again, this stuff with Obama kind of underscores 
you know, it should be troubling. It's troubling to me. If it's not troubling to you, I'd love to know why. Um, you know, where do you think we're at culturally? Where do you think our discourse is? Because I, I'm increasingly cynical about it. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day and they said, how come you don't ever talk about the way this will affect policies, you know, 10, 20 years down the road? I said, man, I can't even get past thinking about 2020. Like, I, I, you know, I think that we have some things right in front of us that we need to address. You know, I would love to be able to think about things 10, 20 years down the road, but I'm worried about where we're at in terms of how divided we are right now. I'm worried about what would happen if Ruth Bader Ginsburg died tonight and Donald Trump got to have another Supreme Court nominee, which would get through. The Republicans have control of the Senate. Um, if if you think about that event and you don't think, yeah, there would be violence, there would be violence, um, then I think, and I think that's a naive take on things. I think that there would be. And so I, I'm worried about where we're at and how divided we are as a country, you know, and how divided we are with our neighbors and people that, you know, I think historically we wouldn't have felt so much animosity against. Um, so anyway, so I think that this stuff with Obama kind of underscores that the way that he is getting criticized for saying things that I think are objectively true, empirically true. And he's saying that as someone who cares about the future of the Democratic Party and how easy it is for many to dismiss him. Um, I think should be troubling, um, should be worrisome, just like what happened with Ellen and, and others. So anyway, so that's it. Um, like I said, the the plan is Wednesday we'll do some Democratic uh, debate stuff. I think it'll be really interesting to see how much the impeachment uh, is part of that conversation. Uh, the The moderators of it, I don't know if they'll get into these comments by Obama. You know, I was thinking about like, okay, well, will they press any of the um, candidates on this type of stuff? And they've asked some questions about, you know, m not moderating and going too far in the past. Um, I don't know if they'll do that, but I think they should. I think that'd make for a really fascinating conversation. But anyway, so we'll talk about the primaries and where things are at in the polls on Wednesday. And then I'm going to start doing a live stream every Sunday there's a, I've got just a backlog of articles and stuff, outlines I've been working on that I want to talk about. So we'll get into some more of that stuff um, next Sunday. There's been some really fascinating stuff in the news. Again, worrying, some of it humorous, you know, a little bit of both. Um, anyway, so we'll do that next Sunday. So I want to get on more of a consistent schedule. So outside of the, um, the primaries and stuff like that, expect something every Sunday, probably around this time. I don't know. Um, anyway, that's it. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, please, if you like this type of stuff, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, that is Return to Reason. I'll put a link to that in the description. Follow me on Twitter. That's at MyMundaneMind. Again, I say this every time I make a video. I think it's true. I think I've got a pretty solid Twitter, just saying. Um, my YouTube, maybe not as good, but anyway. Not that it's hard to have a good Twitter, really. but And I actually, I've been finding that I, I need to spend less time on Twitter because... There's, there was a day recently where I managed to piss off a bunch of socialists and a bunch of alt-right people. I'm used to dealing with socialists, but the alt-right, like real, like evil, real deal, like white ethno-state type people, I'm not used to those guys. So I'm like, oh man, I got to get out of this. This is gross. I'm getting like authoritarian, toxic ideology from both sides, the far left and far right. Um, so anyway, but follow me on Twitter. Some pretty funny and interesting stuff there. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.